0: Well, thank you everyone for coming today. Uh, we'll be discussing how Facebook has deployed Amazon Workspaces globally. Uh, my name is Eric Jones. I'm Senior Technical Product Manager with Amazon Workspaces. I'm joined by Oscar a uh, Manager and Technical Lead from Facebook. Uh, Oscar will be discussing how Facebook has actually been able to deploy Workspaces globally. Uh, but first, I'll be going into how Amazon Workspaces can be deployed and used. So first, I'd like to give sort of a brief overview of what Amazon WorkSpaces is. Uh, We're a managed desktop as a service. Um, And that really means that, let's say, uh, I guess a lot of folks here are probably already familiar with what maybe a virtual desktop is. Um, But WorkSpaces does more than that as far as management. Um, We're allowing you to manage all of your users' workspaces in one central location using shared images. Uh, And we're managing things like the hardware, the actual... uh, You'll actually see, I'll go into it in a second. Um, But we allow folks to scale up and down quickly without a lot of this large upfront investment. Uh, And you can pay as you go. So it means that you're not having to make this huge investment and then later figure out what what am I gonna do with all this hardware, for instance. Um, moving to Amazon Workspaces, it's actually fairly easy from an end user experience perspective because we're already integrating uh, with many of the things that you may use on-prem. Uh, that can include things like SCCM or a multi-factor author, just using the AD that you have today. So I'll also differentiate between what workspaces may be versus some of the other VDI solutions you've seen too. Uh, On-premises VDI, you're managing things like the actual purchase of hardware, as well as even the physical security of that hardware. Uh, There are things available as well, VDI on the cloud, um, where the service is actually managing a lot more. Um, But things like server or storage administration, that's still something that the customer is going to have to deal with. Now, with managed desktop as a service, like Amazon Workspaces, we're actually focused on managing almost everything for you so that you can focus on what you do best. Uh, The main things that we're leaving to customers are things like managing your own images, uh, managing authentication, your AD, uh, as well as policies. All things that most customers want to manage themselves. Now, I'll go into some examples of what you can do with Amazon Workspaces. Uh, First, with data management, Uh, say you've provisioned many workspaces and you find that your users don't necessarily have the right workspace. It's not necessarily the right fit for them. Now, with just a few clicks from, uh, well, I'm one ahead. Say something happens to someone's workspace and they need to restore, we're taking snapshots of both root and user volumes so that you can actually recreate that workspace without losing data outside of those snapshots. And that just takes a few clicks or you can trigger that via API. Now, the example I was too excited about earlier, um, say that you had uh, created the workspaces and you need to potentially change compute or memory specs on the workspaces that you have. Now that can either be done by your end users or you can do it as an admin uh, from the console. And you can see, this is the workflow for an end user. If they need to say, move from a standard to a power workspace, because they might have applications that they need greater performance than, maybe their initial workspace was able to actually give them. Uh, From the console, again, it's just a few clicks. And this is also all available via API as well. And the same is true for storage. So you need additional storage. That's something that you can also do through the same workflows. You'll see here under modify volume size. Next is compliance. Uh, Compliance can be a headache for a lot of folks. Um, And it's something that, you know, it's always coming up. Audits are happening regularly and customers are needing to make sure that they're on top of it uh, so that their business can continue to run. Uh, Amazon Workspace is is actually a solution that uh, is compliant out of the box for many of the most important compliance programs for customers. That includes things like SOC one through three for financial services and healthcare customers, for instance, veteran moderate, which is important for U.S. government customers in U.S. commercial regions, as well as like HIPAA and PCI. Uh, for a full list of the compliance programs that Amazon WorkSpaces and really any service in AWS is a part of, please see the services in scope page uh, under AWS. Now, just coming back to the beginning, the benefits of WorkSpaces on scalability and flexibility. Uh, with scalability, so you have the image that you want to create more workspaces for many more users. From uh, you can do that very, you can trigger that very quickly. Uh, again, with just a few clicks from the console or via API, uh, and a lot of the things like the hardware and making sure everything can uh, can just work, that's owned by us. Uh, As far as flexibility, with licensing, you can either buy licenses, uh, like Windows licenses, from workspaces, or you can bring your own licenses. Um, We don't have complex licensing terms. You can decide at the end of a month that, you know what, I don't need these workspaces, and you're not paying next month. Uh, Flexible billing, we offer both always-on monthly workspaces as well as auto-stop hourly workspaces. Uh, So depending on the usage, patterns of your users, uh, you can select that to make sure that uh, you're choosing the right workspaces for your entire workforce. Uh, And then a flexible client strategy. Uh, Workspaces runs on a number of clients. We run on Windows desktop, Mac desktop, uh, run on iPads, we run on uh, web browser, and we run on Fire tablet, and I'm missing one or two, please see our clients page if I am. But one that Oscar is going to get into uh, in a lot more detail later is Teradici Zero Clients, uh, which also have workspaces as well. So with that, I'm gonna hand it off to Oscar.
1: Thank you, Eric. You guys can hear me? Okay, great. Was well, loud. As I said, my name is Oscar Schweibom. I'm here to talk about how Facebook deployed Amazon workspaces globally. Going to do a little bit more of an intro, talk about our business need, why did we start this project? What solution, uh, what architecture did we we, uh, design for the solution? We iterated a few, what did we settle on? Um, What challenges did we encounter along the way? And then what our plans are for the future going from here? So, who am I? Well, I'm from Facebook. Some of you may know us. Um, We have a few customers out there. Um, We give people the power to build community and build a, and bring the world closer together. People use Facebook to stay, commu- to stay connected with friends, family, people who share their interests, discover what's going on around, around the world, and share and express what matters to them. I specifically am the technical lead for our Amazon Workspaces deployment project. I'm a production engineer. A project, production engineering at Facebook is a hybrid between systems and software engineering. We keep Facebook we keep Facebook running smoothly and scaling efficiently. Uh, we work with our software engineering teams to uh, solve hard problems, to uh, resolve issues when they come up, and uh, ensure that the site is always available to everyone who wants to use it. For more information on production and engineering, you can follow the link on this uh, slide. So for our WorkSpaces project, why did we start it, what was our need? Well some background. Uh, Facebook, we outsource some of our operational work to third-party vendors, and this work is browser-based. The person comes in the beginning of the day, they log in, they fire up the browser, and they're just in the browser all day. That's all they do. Um, Of course, security and privacy is very important in everything we do at Facebook, so we have very strict privacy controls, security controls that we give to the vendor to ensure that data is handled appropriately. But we always want to do better. We want to raise the bar, improve our security posture, always. Um, We want to ensure 24-7, 365 compliance with our rules. We, of course, um, do audits, frequent site audits, but audits are imperfect. Audits will never catch every issue every time. We want to do better than that. Another challenge is scalability. We have very many partners we work with, and these partners have very many... Uh, sites and they're all over the world. So 24-7, 365 sites. We want to ensure a consistent worker experience anywhere in the world, regardless of where someone, who someone works for, regardless of which physical location they're in. We want them to have the same experience, the same UI. Um, and then when there's an upgrade, Chrome Security Fix, whatever, we want to coordinate upgrades. We want to uh, roll that out in a timely manner. We want to have assurance that it's been rolled out and we want to make it be easy to troubleshoot. So every site had its own deployment package. If there's an issue, it's really hard to figure out what's going wrong. Is it the browser version? Is it something on our side? So another need for that consistency. So what's my dream, my end state, my goal? Every worker logs in the same Facebook-managed desktop environment. Doesn't matter what partner they work for. Doesn't matter where they are in the world. And that, then the burden of compliance falls to Facebook. We ensure that environment is compliant. We do the security monitoring and security lockdown. We monitor the activity logs off of that. And the partner has has a much smaller bit that they have to worry about. And in the end, that means that Facebook data is only managed from these Facebook desktops, that vendor desktops no longer have any access to any Facebook data. But how do we do that? We have a lot of sites. They're all over the world. How do we make that happen? WorkSpaces lets us do that. WorkSpaces lets us create virtual desktops for every partner site all around the world, and then we ensure, centrally managed, we ensure that these are security compliant, and since we're deploying these centrally, every worker sees the same desktop and has the same experience. We can troubleshoot because everyone has the same browser version. And then we can lock things down so access to our data can only be from these virtual desktops, not directly from the site desktops, from the vendor desktops. And uh, Workspace's global footprint means that we can place these desktops physically close to the vendor sites, and so they're not going halfway around the world for every mouse click, for every keystroke. Workspaces has a very large global footprint. Facebook is in seven of the regions that Workspaces is in. We're in Oregon, North Virginia, Tokyo, Singapore, Ireland, London, and Frankfurt. Just gives you a scale of how many sites we have around the world. Workspaces is even more regions. You can see the full list here on the slide and on the Workspaces website. So no matter where your workers are in the world, there's always a site that's low latency available for your workers to connect to. So that was our business need. How do we, how do we actually implement this? Well, first problem you run into is, well, you have a keyboard and a mouse and a screen locally. You have a desktop that's 1,000 miles over that way, and somehow you have to connect the two. So you press the key move the mouse, it goes over there, and the video image comes back to your screen here. And what choices do we have? Well, obvious one. Hey, Windows client, Mac client. It doesn't really solve the problem, because now that local machine, we have to keep that compliant. We have to make sure that's patched and upgraded. We have to make sure that's consistent, because if that desktop is inconsistent, now each worker has an inconsistent experience. So we're back to square one for our needs if we did Windows or Mac. Okay. What other choices do we have? Well, Chromebooks. Well, Chromebooks are definitely simpler devices. They have a smaller attack surface. They're easier to configure, but they still have local storage. They still have local authentication. They still are very configurable, can still install apps. And so it's really not that different from a Windows or Mac from our perspective. It's simpler, it's maybe a little, but it's the same general set of problems. Okay? If those don't work, what other options do we have? Let's talk about Teradichi PCOP Zero Clients. These are small, stateless, uh, inexpensive client devices. They run a single purpose firmware, single purpose OS. You can't install apps, period. You can't um, run antivirus, there's nothing to run there. Um, You can't store files. There's no local storage. Um, All it it knows how to do, it boots up and says, where do I connect to? And you hit connect, and then you're talking to something else. That's all it knows how to do, which is really great for us, because that means that there's no, there's very little attack vector right onto that box right there. Um, There's many uh, OEMs that make this, and these OEMs make it available all around the world. Client devices, are. if you can buy client devices only in the U.S., that's really great if your offices are in the U.S. We have offices all around the world. Our vendor partners have to procure these wherever they are in the world. Zero clients are easy to procure anywhere in the world, as we found, from different OEMs. And because it's such a small attack surface, software updates are very rare. This isn't Windows where there's a critical security patch every Tuesday, every, every Tuesday uh, second Tuesday of the month. And very small set of configuration options. I can list them on a relatively small dock, and then every site can be exactly the same because all you're doing is just telling it how to connect to the remote site. Here's a picture of one of the boxes. looks like the pen there is for scale. Really, really small, really, really simple device. No storage, no flash. I mean, the flash is sort of the OS, but that's it. Okay, great. We're going to deploy these boxes. How are we going to manage them? Every site IT knows how to manage Windows and how to manage Mac, but they come to us when we tell them you're gonna deploy zero clients, and they're like, we don't know these devices. How do I update them? I don't want to go to each one one at a time and stick in a USB drive and flash the firmware. That's terrible. I don't want to configure them one at a time as I plug them into a network. That's terrible. I need something better. Fortunately, Teradici makes management console software to centralize, centralize manage of these. From this console, you can push out configuration, Options to all the devices can push out firmwares. And even better, they have a DHCP auto-config. You take a device out of the box, you plug it into the network, you plug it into power, you go away for about five minutes, and it's up. That's it. You don't touch it. Um, There's a firmware update. It updates the firmware automatically. It downloads the config. It registers yourself with Management Console. You come back, five minutes later, it's ready to go, and you look at Management Console, and there it is. Easiest, easiest management out there. So this is our architecture so far. We have a vendor site, got workers working for that vendor. They have zero clients, and of course the management console locally to manage those zero clients. Okay? Now these zero clients have to connect somewhere to figure out what's available. So let's talk a little bit about HADR, which is kind of uh, related here. Um, We want to ensure uptime. Now these workers are fully dependent on workspaces to do their work. There's nothing locally. Workspace is down, they can't connect, they literally cannot do their jobs. They have nothing, no fallback. So, when AZ has a problem, they still have to be able to work. entire AWS region has a problem, which is rare, but it does occasionally happen. They still have to be able to work. If we want to do maintenance, we occasionally want to do maintenance on some of our Workspace's backends, they still need to be able to work. How do we do this? Well, what's AWS High Availability 101? Run multiple AZs. And Workspaces does support multi-AZ. You can run in in a given VPC in two AZs. And we always do that, we always split across two AZs. Um, But any given user's workspace is in one AZ. You can't control what AZ it's in, which means if there's an AZ-level issue, half your workers can't work. Now that's better than all your workers can't work, but that's still pretty terrible. So let's do better than that. You know, well, how do you do better than general AWS 102? Well, you do multi-region. And now we had a problem. Because the way a user normally connects to workspaces with registration code. And the registration code is tied to a specific region. Now, we could spin up two different workspaces for every user with two different registration codes and give each user two registration codes. And then when a region is having problems, we tell all the workers, go switch this other registration code. And then when the problem's solved, we tell everyone, oh, go switch back to the other registration code. At our scale, that will not work. That's terrible. Um, it has to be no, failover has to be no touch. An engineer at Facebook realizes that there's an issue, and says, "I'm going to fail over," and everyone just fails over. Workers have to do nothing. The vendor has to do nothing. And when it's okay and come back, Facebook decides go. Vendor doesn't have to do anything. Workers don't have to do anything. It's the only thing that's going to work at the scale. How do we do that? How do you do that anywhere else? Do DNS. I have a DNS record. Um, I have a primary region, I have a secondary region, and the record routes to whichever region is available. Right? Can we do that here? Workspaces doesn't support DNS, so how do we do this? Well, enter another CherryG product, a free product, Connection Manager for AWS. It's a free WorkSpaces authentication proxy, runs in an auto-scaling group, behind a load balancer in your WorkSpaces VPC, When uh, the zero clients connect to it, it uh, does the authentication and proxies the connection over to workspaces. The most important thing about it is that means that the zero clients are now connecting to it by name, which means that now I can do DNS-based failover because now I can control where that name points to, whether it points to the connection manager in region A or region B. So I can have uh, connection manager in region A and a DNS name, site name dash primary, and, and a load balancer connection manager region B and have site name dash secondary. And raw 53 is really great. I can have weighted C names. I can have C name pointing to uh, region A and C name pointing to region B. And I can weight it 100-0, and now all my users are logging into the primary. Or I can weight it 0-100, and all my users go to the secondary. But I can also do more interesting things. I can also wait at 80-20. Hey, I'm rolling out a change to our backend infrastructure, change to uh, some other component we'll talk about, um, and I want to test it out. I don't want to have this big blast radius. I want to just have a few users try it out. Wait at 80-20, 20% of our users log into the secondary. If everything goes well, I wait at 50-50, and then 20-80, and then 0-100, and then I fix my primary, do whatever maintenance on the primary and move users back over. There's a problem, I move everyone back. Easy. Let's let's wait on questions for, yeah. Let's talk, we questions after uh, on stage right now. So, um, other things, and speaking of blast radius reduction, uh, we create a separate VPC pair for every site we don't put all the workspaces in one giant VPC intermingling vendors. Um, we use a separate AWS account for each region's VPCs. And this limits blast radius from deployments. This limits blast radius from operational work. Um, that means the mach- most you can mess up when you're working in a VPC is one site, one primary or secondary of one site. And even if you completely mess up one account, you know you haven't messed up both your primary and secondaries because the secondary is guaranteed to be in a different region, which means it's gonna be in a different account. And this improves security isolation. And also, let's just do fine-grained failover, as we can fail over one site at a time, not all the users in one region. And there are many reasons why we want to do that kind of very fine-grained failover. The architecture so far, as we said, is zero clients. They are now connecting uh, over the internet to uh, Connection Manager, to ELB, Connection Manager Autoscaling Group, Connection Manager Autoscaling Group, uh, then proxies the connection over to WorkSpaces. Okay, now the users are at a login prompt. Um, How do they log in? Well, WorkSpaces does support various in-the-cloud directory services, uh, but Facebook, we have our own on-prem Active Directory. Workers are already in it. We want to authenticate against that. How do we make that work? Well, WorkSpaces supports the Active Directory connector, which proxies a connection from WorkSpaces to our on-prem Active Directory. But that means that the Active Directory connector needs to be able to talk to our on-prem Active Directory. We used to do that with VPN Gateway. It worked. Um, But it kind of led to an explosion of tunnels. Remember, we're deploying two VPCs per site. um, And so we had this explosion of every time we brought up a site, we had to bring up two VPN tunnels. Um, And VPN Gateway didn't have the best uh, redundancy story. And that meant that we had to go to our networking team every time we brought up a site. And that was just more work than we wanted to do. Fortunately, we're really happy to see Transit Gateway launched last year at reInvent, and that's really much better because then we can have one Transit Gateway in each region, and all the VPCs use that. Transit Gateway supports redundant VPN links, um, and that means that uh, when we bring up a new site in an existing region where we already have workspaces, we can just do an attachment to the existing Transit Gateway and not go into our networking team for every single site. Really speeds up our uh, deployments. Oh, and the uh, TGWs are also in their own account, which we give to our networking team. Networking team can manage the VPN tunnels without any access into the the accounts that have the actual workspaces. More security isolation, more security improvements. Okay, so this is where we were before. Then add in, we have the AD connector, talking to the transit gateway, site-to-site VPN tunnel to our firewall and into our on-prem AD. Okay, great. Users logged in. Um, how did that user get a, an account? Well, Facebook has an internal workflow management engine already. It has a, it's a event-based, hey, there's a user that's onboarded, look at their type of user profile, and then go do a set of actions. And one of the set of actions in there is go create them in our Active Directory. We could have extended that to go and create the workspaces for a variety of reasons. Instead, we decided to do that as a separate sync, sync script that then, once the user is in Active Directory, we run a script that says, hey, what's in Active Directory? Which of these should have workspaces? What what actually is in workspaces? And then create and delete workspaces as needed to make the two align. And this runs on-prem every four hours from our internal cron system. Uh, We create an always-on, that's a monthly billing for our, in the primary VPC. And we do the auto-stop hourly billing in secondary because the assumption is that the users will not be in the secondary for very much just lets us save cost. The desktop image itself is a very bare-bones custom image, Um, just Chrome, with everything else locked down very heavily with GPOs and baked-in setting options, because, again, all the user should be doing is running that browser and doing our workload. They shouldn't be doing things on their desktop. They shouldn't be saving files. They shouldn't be doing any of those other things. And so we lock them down to just that. We use the same image for all sites, all vendors, because we want that consistent experience and we update image once a month, patch Tuesday, um, or more if there's a a critical uh, Chrome security release, which seems to happen more often nowadays. (laughs) Um, In terms of the mechanics of updating the desktop, my dream is that we'd hook this into our existing on-prem image creation pipeline is Facebook already has a very elaborate automation to create the images used at our normal desktops, for laptops, for our labs. And ideally, Workspace would just be another output. We take that image, we upload that to all the regions. 24 hours later, great, we have this. Um, Unfortunately, Workspaces doesn't support that yet. Um, Workspace doesn't support uploading a fully baked image up. Um, Workspaces doesn't support fully automated creates even within AWS. And so we have a semi-automated, semi-manual process today where we have as much that can be automated, automated, but there are parts, steps that have to be done by the user, um, by the person building it. And then once we build it, since it's a time-consuming process, we don't want to have to do that seven times in each of our regions. So we then copy that out to all the regions. Um, Unfortunately, cross-account copy is a manual ticket today and with a seven-day SLA. And so end-to-end time, typically, for this process is about two weeks. If there's a really critical fix. We can work with our desktop team and with AWS to speed that up, but in a normal, normal cycle, that's about two weeks. That's kind of not ideal, and we're working with AWS to continue to streamline this, improve this, add some of the functionality that, that we need. Then within that workspace, the connectivity for the browser out is not going over the VPN. Tools they need are accessible over the open internet, over SSL, of course, and authenticated, of course, um, and two-factor authenticated, of course. Um, And so the connectivity for those workspaces out is over a normal NAT gateway, internet gateway. That VPN tunnel is used only for that outpost authentication traffic. Of course, that outbound traffic is not completely unlimited. We do want to block sites, malicious sites, sites that, block, that threaten our data security, and sites that may be distractions for the workers. And so we use the Sophos UTM web proxy. Um, all the workspaces are configured to use it using a GPO, and we put in network ACLs to ensure that people do not bypass that proxy. And so here now we have the completed architecture. We have the vendor site with zero clients, with workers, management console to manage those zero clients that go and connect over the internet um, to a connection manager load balancer with connection manager all scaling group that proxies that connection in the workspaces. Um, workspaces then goes over the active directory connector, transit gateway, site-to-site VPN, firewall, back to our output, uh, to our active directory to uh, log in. Um, and then once logged in, users fire up the browser, and then the uh, browser goes out through a NAT gateway, internet gateway, um, through, uh, through Sophos, out the NAT gateway, internet gateway, out to the internet. Okay. What challenges do we encounter along the way? Well, first, that's a heck of a lot of VPCs. And we have a lot in them, relatively speaking. We have a connection manager, we have Sophos, we have Active Directory Connector, we have Transit Gateway. We have a VPC uh, of the NAT gateway, we have an Internet gateway. And, um, we can't build this manu- manually. It will take too long, it'll be inconsistent, it'll be unsupportable. No way, a no, complete non-starter. Okay, CloudFormation is kind of the standard AWS answer. Um, That's not kind of Facebook's preferred method. Um, Instead, we use Terraform. We defined an entire VPC as a custom library in Terraform with custom resources for Sophos and Territory Connection Manager. And then we instantiate this library as many times as we need with specific parameters. Hey, we want a copy of this Workspace's VPC in this region with this IP block, with these settings, go. And it does that. And we just just have one instantiation for all this. This means bringing up a site takes about one hour. And that includes some manual steps because until very recently, a few of the things to configure WorkSpaces did not have APIs. Very happy to see in the last month or so, WorkSpaces released APIs to cover those gaps. And we're incorporating that in so our builds will be even faster because we'll be able to remove the last of our manual steps. Um, The other challenge is that Terraform can lag behind AWS because it's not for, you know, third party. But the great thing is Terraform is open source. So we can do it, we can add features ourselves. We have control over it. If we want something, we can build it ourselves. If there's a bug that is uh, hitting us, we can fix it ourselves. If there's a feature we want, we can add it ourselves. We can build it locally. And so we really uh, appreciate that control. That's one of the reasons we really like Terraform. Another challenge is the desktops require solid connectivity because it's a lot more sensitive to latency, bandwidth constraints, and jitter. So this is much more than a browser. Browser latency, the page loads a little slower, or bandwidth, you know, the page loads a little little slower. Um, But on a virtual desktop, you have that uh, latency, you've got screen update lag, you move your mouse, and then the mouse pointer moves a second later. It's really terrible. Um, A packet loss. Uh, People say the computer froze. Well, the computer really didn't freeze. The screen just stopped updating. From the user's perspective, it doesn't matter. Just a really terrible experience. Um, You have bandwidth constraints. The connectivity is there, but you just don't have enough bandwidth. PCoIP is a great protocol. We'll say, I'm gonna do the best I can. I'm just gonna compress it. Ever watch a YouTube video um, on a really, really low bandwidth connection? You see how YouTube just compresses it until it's blur? You basically get that. You get a very blurry screen. Um, and the user can't work or the user complains, like, is my eyesight going because the screen looks really terrible. Um, We don't want any of these. How do we make sure this doesn't happen at all these sites? Um, All around the world from all these vendors, we have to ensure there's good good connectivity in the LAN, good connectivity out to AWS. And we do this by, we developed a very extensive runbook and checklist based on our learnings as we've deployed this. Um, It goes into a lot of detail in a lot of things. How to configure the LAN, what interactivity is required, what bandwidth do we require? We we ask for two megabits per second per active user for all of these sites. We require maximum latency, um, jitter limitations, specific settings on how to configure the zero client and management console. And then before each site, any site can go live on workspaces, Facebook visits on-site with the vendor partner and does an on-site assessment against the checklist. And we have to have successful completion of the checklist before WorkSpaces can go live to ensure that users have a great experience. Here's a little example, you don't have to read the details of it, kind of a snippet screenshot of the runbook. This little section talks about how to configure the management console. You see we go into very great detail This is the, uh, you know, we must disable SNMP, we must disable the uh, AWI, the web interface. Um, This is the firmware version to use, and so on. And then the checklist, also very detailed. This is a little snippet of a very big checklist. This one happens to talk about redundancy, redundant cable paths, redundancy in the core, redundancy in the access layer, configuration backups, power supply redundancy. This is the level of detail we go through with our partners to ensure that there's a solid network so the users have a good experience when they log into this. Next challenge, data preservation. It's not what you think. WorkSpaces actually does an amazing job to preserve user data. For most customers, this is the user's primary desktop. This is where they're storing their data. And WorkSpaces says, I'm not going to let you delete that data. I'm going to work hard to keep that data. It's great, but it's not what we we want. We don't want the data retained. Remember, these users are working with sensitive data. We want anything that they might have saved, anything that might be cached, gone. We want deleted. Ideally, as soon as they log off, that whole desktop would get uh, deleted. Um, Workspaces today does not support that. And so we implement that ourselves. Wrote a Python script and goes through and deletes and recreates every desktop, every 48 hours. Um, and it has to be delete and create, because the rebuild API very helpfully preserves the user data as it rebuilds Windows, which is exactly what we don't want. <laughs> um, this delete, recreate, it also then moves the user onto the latest Windows image. We delete, and then we create on the latest Windows image, which means that within 48 hours, the Windows image has been de- propagated to every user. And this runs as part of that uh, cron job I mentioned before, so not only does that cron job add workspaces for new users, delete workspaces for um, deleted users. It also then goes through existing users and say, is this desktop more than 48 hours old? And if so, let me delete it and recreate it. We ran into a challenge with this. Workspaces limits concurrent creations. When you exceed the limit, unfortunately, the API does not fail. It very helpfully queues the request for you. Um, You don't know that it's queued the request. It succeeds. It appears to succeed. And some point in the future, it will will complete and build. Um, The problem is, then, if I go through, I have 1,000 users, and I do 1,000 deletes, and I show 1,000 creates, they'll all succeed. And the first batch will succeed pretty fast. And the last batch might take 12 or 24 hours to succeed. That means I've got some users that don't have desktops for 24 hours. This is obviously not what we want. So we worked around this. Went to AWS and say, what are those limits? And then our code self-throttles below that limit. So for example, if the limit in a region is 10 creates in parallel, it will go through and issue the first 10 deletes, and the first 10 creates, and then poll until one of those 10 finishes, and then issues the next delete and create, and then polls until the next one finishes. And so we always have 10 in flight. And so the window between the delete and the create successful is as small as possible. Um, This is obviously not ideal, and we're working with AWS to improve this in the future. Another issue. With Windows, what's the first thing you do when there's a problem? Reboot. Okay, reboot didn't work. What else do you do next? Um, I'm going to reinstall Windows. Workspaces, this is now harder than it looks, harder than it should be, because with zero clients, there's no self-service way for a user to reboot their own desktop. User has a problem... That means they have to file a trouble ticket to Facebook to say, hey, reboot my own computer. Can you imagine your desktops, local desktops, you had to go up to help desk every time your local desktop had an issue and you had to reboot it? Non-starter. So how do we solve this? And we build our own custom web UI. You reboot their desktop, they go to their lead, they can log in, they can go in and say, hey, reboot my desktop, or their lead can reboot their desktop. And so now, it's, it's still not, not quite the same as Reboot It Locally, but it's still, it's, it's much better than filing a ticket to Facebook. Um, that authenticates against Active Directory on the front end and of course uses the WorkSpaces APIs on the back end. Um, it's also for rebuilds. Hey, Windows looks messed up, getting weird Windows driver errors, whatever, just want to reinstall Windows, same thing. Same UI for both. Speaking of user support, we have users 24-7, 365 all around the world Means issues will happen 24 7, 365. The team I lead is nine engineers, and we're based in California and Washington, and we like to sleep at least occasionally. Um, so, how do we resolve that? How do we sleep while making sure the user's problems get resolved in a timely manner? So, first is we give, gave local vendor site IT a troubleshooting guide, because some problems they can resolve on their own. If the screen is blurry, they might try and say, hey, this is workspaces. But as, I, as you heard earlier in this, blurry screen means there's a bandwidth problem, which means they need to work with their vendor, their, IT, their uh, internet provider, to ensure they have sufficient bandwidth to AWS. There's nothing Facebook can do at that point. So it's on them. We tell them, this is, this is the remedy for this. If people are seeing black screens, frozen screens, hey, you're getting packet loss, go look for packet loss on your network, and so on. Um, but some issues are Facebook issues, the things that we need to resolve. And so we have a 24-7 frontline support team that we've given very extensive uh, troubleshooting flows to, and they can resolve most issues. Um, The vendor site people can submit submit a problem request through a web form or by calling them if for some reason the web form isn't working. And most problems are resolved by frontline support. When needed, frontline support can escalate to the engineering. It's a really critical outage. Hey, no one can log into the site looks like something's broken on, on, on the back end, they can page an engineer. This is very rare. This happens extremely rarely, and, and, and it will always happen extremely rarely because I said, we like to sleep. What was our plan for the future? Well, we met our initial project goals. Um, we now have Facebook-managed desktops that are always security compliant that all the users are logging into. We have a consistent user experience for all these users because these are the, it's all the same image. Um, regardless of what region or vendor site you're at. And then the Facebook data stays on those Facebook-managed systems. No longer is it going to the vendor-managed desktops. And we have a simple stateless local device, very small tax surface, very easy to configure, very easy to manage. All that complexity has been pushed into the cloud, into Facebook management. And so we have a solution that's very easy to scale and very easy for us to support. Where do we go from here? Well, we plan on increasing uh, by 4x the number of workspaces uh, in 2020. We're going to do this by putting on additional workloads, different classes of users that aren't on the solution today, by going and onboarding additional vendor sites, and also looking at even some of our in house contractors where maybe we're over provisioning them with more than they need today, where we can get, put, move them onto this solution. Today, as I said, with all Linux, going to look at Linux, uh, excuse me, all Windows, going to look at Linux in the future. Um, Windows was the quickest for us to deploy because it's what everyone was familiar with. Linux has some uh, advantages. We want to see how they play out, how the user experience is. We're going to hire additional production engineers as we grow, can you grow. We we're certainly um, can scale pretty well, but there's additional things we want to do in the solution as we onboard these additional workloads. We need more engineers, so we're hiring more in Seattle and London for this And we're gonna, of course, continue to partner with AWS and TerraDG. They've been awesome partners to work with. We look forward to continuing working with them in 2020 to continue to scale the solution out. So, thank you very very much for coming. It was a pleasure uh, talking to to everyone. Um, And uh, thank you, Eric, for uh, co-presenting.